Merry Christmas, and welcome back to Blood and Black Rum Podcast's Festivus series for 2021. It's been a tough year, and that's why we're bringing you all of your Christmas favorite films. Things like Black Xmas from 2006. We did all the other ones. Home Alone, a holiday staple. Christmas Evil, because you can't get enough Evil Santas. And finally, Better Watch Out, because it's free and it's on Netflix. We hope you tune in all season long for these festive Yuletide goodies. Welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSplitation.com, and I'm joining my co-host Martin. How's it going? Uh, we're, we're hanging in there. Uh, week three of our Festivus series for 2021. Um, the other two weeks we covered, um, better watch out, which was last week. And then our first episode, black Xmas from 2006. So we've kind of kept it. No, 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 no. It's the Lacey Chabert film. (laughs) Lacey Chabert presents like Xmas. We've kind of kept it, uh, horror related and we're going to continue that vibe in today's episode and we should preface today's episode by saying that we're probably going to have very differing opinions on this movie so it's going to be an interesting discussion where one of us is smattered with it (laughs) and the other one is um not so into it is what i'll say you could probably guess already which is which because i'm more of the schlocky guy and Martin's more of the sophisticated cinephile. Something like that. <laughs> but uh, we're talking about the 1980 Killer Santa movie. Better watch out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, t- well, you know, technically, it's you better watch you out. Better watch, Sorry. You better watch yeah. out. You better watch out. But more commonly referred to as Christmas Evil. Though the title card of the movie does sport you better watch out. So uh, originally titled you better watch out and then someone along the way was like you know what probably be a better title for this movie that would sell more tickets christmas evil you know because you you already had black christmas and then i think you better watch out to them was like oh you know yes it connotes it has connotations of christmas but like let's throw we we want to get the most out of the holiday in the movie. So let's put Christmas in the title. Therefore Christmas evil. I like the working title, Santa. (laughs) So, so, so so evocative. (laughs) You don't know what you're going to get with that title, right? Ooh, let's go see this film. What's it called? Santa. (laughs) Oh, it is important to note that of the killer Santa movies, uh, this one is the first, Silent Night, Deadly Night. In a long line of very horrid filmmaking. Well. In a genre that we didn't really need. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Silent Night, Deadly Night wouldn't release until 1984. Um, Interestingly enough, too, is that Christmas Evil was four years ahead of Silent Night, Deadly Night. And yet Silent Night, Deadly Night is the one that got all of the controversy. Um, And that may be because no one was really paying attention to Christmas Evil. Um. But Silent Night, Deadly Night was the one that was like, you've corrupted the idea of Santa Claus, uh, yet Christmas Evil had already been there, done that, uh, had a killer Santa who um, had some fe- like you know, some connotations of pedophilia. 
And so it's just kind of interesting to me that Christmas Evil didn't really spark the controversy that Silent Night, Deadly Night did. Um, you know, there were death threats about Silent Night, Deadly Night of corrupting Santa Claus and the, the image of Santa Claus and, um, you know, using it for such evil purposes. Well, speaks probably to the lasting image of this film then. Well, that's another <laughs> thing that we, I want to bring up too is because Christmas Evil, um, while it doesn't have the – obviously the uh, the staying power of Black Christmas, which has become a cult classic that everyone kind of refers to as the example of Christmas horror. Uh, and then you have Silent Night, Deadly Night soon after that with another you know Santa Claus killer that um, – has kind of lasted into the canon of, of uh, horror slasher films, but Christmas evil has gotten a resurgence of late. Um, it's not, you know, it's not super well respected, but there are definitely cult film fans and um, critics who are pretty big on Christmas evil. Um, I'm going to call myself a critic since I write for cultsploitation.com. Uh, I'm pretty big on Christmas evil. Uh, and it's really gotten more spotlight as some of the horror companies have um, kind of, I don't know, they've extended what they're covering. Um, you know, you kind of run out of things. You can't do Black Christmas t-shirts every single year with like different designs. You're gonna, you run out of people and artists to design them. So you have to branch out and you want to do different Christmas movies. So you add Gremlins and you add um, Silent Night, Deadly Night. And then you get to Christmas Evil. Like, oh, yeah, that's a Christmas movie, too. For horror, for horror fans. And then you make a t-shirt of them. And I, now I own a Christmas Evil t-shirt. So it's gotten more limelight. Um, I like to think that people are coming around to it and seeing it in a different uh, way than they, they had once seen it before. Um, and I'll speak to that too because I know that you are coming from a first-time watch, never seen it before, and didn't really love it when you watched it. And I will say, too, that when I first saw Christmas Evil, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, I thought it was fine, but it wasn't something that really stuck out to me. But on subsequent watches, I've really come to um, be enamored by some of the things that it does that, we'll, that I'll talk about and try to espouse some of my, my um, criticisms and um, enjoyment of the movie so that other people can kind of see that. Other people meaning Martin – and take from that and kind of see it in a different light. But still, we have to contend with the fact that Martin did not like Christmas Evil. <clears throat> I like to call it tedium the film. Good night, everybody. <laughs> That's it from you. That's all you got. You got nothing more to say about Christmas Evil. No. Let's see. What would I, what, what would I call it? Um... I don't know. I don't have like a catchy tag like you did, like tedium the movie. Um, <laughs> I will. We'll we'll talk about once we get past the break. We'll talk about you know what the film doesn't do well and what I feel the film does do well, um, and then see how you feel once I offer up some of those little nuggets of wisdom about what what the film is doing to see if you really don't well, find the well, enjoyment in it. Well, let's hope we have a nice point-counterpoint on this. Absolutely. we got a Crossfire episode this time. <laughs> and you're Tucker, Tucker Carlson. Yeah, we'll really get heated on here. Crossfire. 
That probably would have made Crossfire a much more popular CNN show if they just t- took the game's uh, commercial song and just put that as the theme for Crossfire. Yeah. Crossfire. Would have been a lot more exciting. Uh, I would have. Now, it, now, if you're a child and don't know, know what Crossfire is, not just the TV show, but the uh, the board game, go look it up. Hours of fun. I never One played it. You never had Crossfire? No. You know what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I never played it. I've seen all the commercials. I did just by myself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you played by yourself. (laughs) It's not super fun, I don't feel like, to play by yourself, but, you know. You win every time. That's right. That's like taking the ping pong ball and, you know. (laughs) Just (laughs) slamming it home every game. Martin versus Martin. Ace. This guy sucks. (laughs) All right, let's take a break before we get too far into um, praising and bashing Christmas Evil. And we'll talk about the beer that we have on the show because it's still a nice seasonal treat. Uh, We are still going off of the the themes of holidays. And this time I was the one that was tasked with picking up the beer and the tab, the expensive tab. Um, I... (laughs) had a chance to head out to uh, an even bigger craft beer store that we have in our area that tends to get um, even more selective beers, things that we don't generally get around here, um, specialty beers, uh, small breweries that are doing distribution. And uh, they have uh, they tend to get more District 96 than we see around here. Um, we've had one District 96 on here before. Um it was a. It was the. Have we had one or two? Um, I think we've done two. Actually, I think we might have done two. Actually, we did a Fiden's crossover, and um, I can't remember the other one that we did, but I'm pretty sure we had two on. Um, well, hold on. Let's let's take a look at the old Untapped app. Oh, we don't have time for that. <laughs> but anyway, we've we've had them on the show before. Um, they are from New York City, around the New York City area. Um, we we tend to not get them, but they are uh, one of the bigger breweries of that area. It's kind of like the Fidens of New York City. Uh, and they tend to do IPAs. And I think their snake bite IPAs are the, the popular things where they have like snake oil or some snake, like a snake fruit in them, um, which is the like what, what the snake is... fruit. It's like a special citrusy fruit. That they put in their IPAs to give it a little kick, a little change up from you know normal citrus fruits. Does it have Nigel West Dickens on it? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but they also make other stuff besides IPAs, and um, I saw that they had their winter ale out. Uh, it's called Sleeveless Flannel, and um, I had to grab it. It says on the can that it's orange and spice, and. I have to say that I think orange and spice flavors go really well together, so I wanted to check it out. The winter ale, um, I would say that it definitely does taste like a winter ale. It is, um, you know, it still has like the the slight raisiny um, dried fruit flavors. It has a lot of cinnamon spice to it. Um, I would say a lot of like maybe like allspice. Um, um, coriander, but the thing that makes this stand out from other winter ales, which pretty much all have that, is the orange 
element, the orange juiciness that it has in there, which I think gives it a nice flavor profile um, that really screams Christmas to me. And we talked about this a little bit before because we had talked about how like um, the orange and clove is sort of a traditional Christmas pairing. And I think that this does that idea in a slightly different way in a winter ale. And I think it does it really well. Oh, my turn. <laughs> um, um, no, I like it a lot, actually. Um, it's a good mix-up of your stereotypical uh, winter lager. Uh, too often, especially when we see from winter lagers, they just kind of go full bore into just being overly malty, dried fruity, and like cinnamon clove. I think the orange definitely adds a welcomed variety to it, especially because you don't really see orange paired with, like, lagers. You usually see that kind of, like, well, I don't know. Actually, it's not in lager. It's winter ale, so I'm fucking wrong. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall it's just, like, it's a nice, um, it's a nice addition. I don't really know how navels became kind of, like, in Clementines became, like, a winter staple. But they are nice, and I think it's definitely enjoyable. Um, at eight percent, it's kind of almost crushable, even though you do get a nice uh, clove and nutmeg and cinnamon taste to pair with that orange. It's still very drinkable. You don't really get too much of an alcohol taste. You get slight, but you know it's like again, like with the everything nice, kind of a nice warming feeling you get from it. Um, but yeah, I like this a lot. Especially after just having Sam's Winter Lager for the first time in a couple of years and being fucking abhorred with Sam Adams and their work. So, good on you, District 96. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I, I've i been really uh, pleasantly surprised with all of the District 96 beers that I've had. I think I've had like four now. Um, well, I think, listen, if they're if they're making collaborations with Fidens, Fidens isn't fucking dicking around. True. They're not, you know, they're not picking... You know, garbage. They're going to be picking people like, oh, we can trust you with that. True. I agree. All right. So we're on to Christmas Evil, the movie that you've been dying to to talk about. I know that you were really excited to get on here and bash it. And I will allow it, even though I run this podcast and I have ultimate say on the the bias that we display he's, on, on he's not just a host and he's also the editor yeah he's also the editor of the sound sound engineer we could we could do this whole podcast and then i could take it back and edit it and make it sound like you loved it you should you should like yeah what, what what's your thoughts i great great and then just end it there and actually be funny we should probably do that for an episode be like it's a fucking amazingly awful movie. And I'll take it and just be like, it's fucking, it's fucking amazing. amazing. Yep. yep. Fake news. All right. So where to begin? I will start it. I will start. <laughs> Please do. I want to say that Christmas Evil is a really weird movie. It's it's definitely got an off-kilter feeling to it. Um, but what I like about it right off the bat is that it feels super grimy. Set in New York City in the, the early 80s, 
the grime, the the Forty Second Street feeling is all here. Um, part of that comes from the uh, very low budget shooting that this had, and I'm not sure if this was shot on 32 millimeter or 16 millimeter. I should have probably looked it up, um, but whatever the case, the film itself, like, literally like the film grain and everything, is just adds to this grime. It was, uh, it was 35. Uh, it just adds to the griminess of this movie, and I feel like you just get a a feeling from it that you don't, you wouldn't necessarily get from any current movie. It has it; it's like ingrained in the time period. I don't know if you agree with that. If you if you found that that was to be the case, or if you even know what I'm talking about with like the the feeling no, no. that that picture. No, no, it definitely no. The picture quality, and then like the way it's definitely very uh, grindhousey. Uh, well, not exactly grindhousey, but you can definitely see like you know as you're watching the film, like you know, kind of cut of the film. I do, I so I do appreciate. Look, the film, like nothing aesthetically about this film, I would say, is bad. Mm-hmm. I think it's well done, and it's also a period piece to where. It kind of fits. My problem is just the overall fact that it's just a fucking tedious film. So, I don't have any. I don't have any problem with the fact that you know the way it's shot or anything like that. Because again, you know, it's got that nice aesthetic to it. Especially if you're looking for kind of like you know your little blots on your film as you're watching, like you know, you see in the upper right corner. Oh, the Ooh. cigarette burns that it has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty, pretty, um, pretty. Uh, consistently too it has yeah cigarette burns um so but i guess let's talk about that let's talk about the what you call tedium um now did, did you so you find the adult harry part of the movie the tedious element to it no um it's more just the overall pacing i think it's a all right well um Jeez. All right, where to start with? So, um, kind of compare and contrast. I know Silent Night, Deadly Night's like four years after the fact, but let's kind of compare the setup of the two films. Here you have 1947, what did it say, Brooklyn in the beginning or some shit? Mm-hmm. Or, and then you got Mom with the kids. Oh, look, here comes Santa down the chimney. Oh, Santa's leading presents. Oh, oh, oh. oh, isn't that cool? Oh, there goes Santa. <laughs> Uh-oh. Santa's grabbing Mommy's leg. <laughs> and now I'm scarred for life. Santa, Santa has a clear thigh fetish. Yes. Because it's not just like he's a not quick even hands-on to the leg. It's like full on. He's just, like, I'm just not sitting there my fondling. La- my, yeah, my hand fondling. is not straying to any other normal, yeah. attractive part of the female body. It's it's straight thigh for me. Well, hey, listen, you, there's nothing wrong with being a thigh person. I'm just saying that it's just. It's Dude, nothing- he's more of a thigh person than you know, uh, KFC Colonel. So. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, but again, it's like. Premise of like what like makes him distraught is kind of asinine when you compare it to four years later. Well, uh, there's Santa, and then he hijacks our car while we're in it, and then kills my father, rapes my mom, and then kills him. Billy has a reason to be scarred. 
Okay, okay. Her- Harry okay. just needs to fucking grow up. Right. So I think right here we have to address this. So uh, uh, I think that um, the film does come to a th- theme. It's just that it doesn't necessarily – it's kind of muddled in the way that it presents everything. However, what I've come to understand from the film is that Harry is more um, – like it, it, there's almost at first what seems like a like an Oedipus complex, right? Like like there's some Oedipal um, feeling that he has when he sees his mother with Santa Claus. However, it's more it's less of an Oedipal complex than it is an issue with the the overall idea of Santa Claus succumbing to sin. Um, that he would be swayed because Santa is the ultimate embodiment of good. In this case, even more so like a god to Harry than God because he is the ultimate embodiment of what is good and the ultimate judge over what is not. And so to see Santa Claus in that sort of position is almost like an affront to what he stands for. Listen, Harry's wrong. They gave out Santa milk and bread slices. (laughs) Yes, I wanted to talk about that. <laughs> Who gives so, Santa bread with jam? Here's some Wonder Bread and some jam, the, and and some fucking warm milk. Poor Santa. No wonder why Santa is going. Can you imagine Santa? Santa no, no wonder why Santa's going for the thigh. He's like, he's like Santa's hungry. Santa just got back from the war, you little shit. Well, I was thinking it's 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 forty seven. Dad just got back from Germany like a year and a half ago. Dad wants to make another Harry, okay? I was thinking... Get out, get over it. Poor Santa, because he's got to huff <laughs> off after eating half a loaf, feeling like he's, you know, a Christmas uh, turkey stuffed full. Somebody thought it appropriate to give him a whole half a loaf of bread and jam when he's got cookies and milk to scarf down at other people's houses. That's just bogarting Santa's stomach. Couldn't couldn't get like a nice Entenmann's cookie set, you know. I totally questioned that. Was that a thing in 1980? People were like, I, "Don't leave Santa cookies. Leave him a big old hunk of bread." I I couldn't tell you. And also, too, this adds to the griminess too. Santa eating that bread and drinking that milk is a unpleasing <laughs> view because it, a- it's like the milk is hanging off the mustache of his of his mustache and beard. There's jam <laughs> coming out of the all of the hairs. It is not pleasant. I don't know why mom would want to get down with that later on. Or maybe that was well, maybe, why he was relegated well, but, to the thigh. Oh, well, I was gonna say, maybe she's like he was trying to do more. She's like, no, no, you got no, no, <laughs> yeah, jam and fucking wonder. Bread <laughs> At least I've got beard. stockings on. F- fondle my thigh and then you know just hump and get on with it later. Yeah. You know, it is an odd uh, opening, and it does smack of like needing just a little bit of editing. Like, why do we need to see literally two minutes of thigh fondling and and uh, stuff like that? But. I will say that this gives you the first off-kilter feeling of the movie because you have that really weird um, editing snap where it's like Santa, Santa Claus is there, then they're they're on the stairs, then it snaps, editing, everybody's gone, they're back in bed. It's just a really weird off-kilter feeling 
and immediately you're like, this movie is weird. This movie has like odd decisions that it makes. And I'm cool with that. I, I'm, I can get down to the, to the weird editing that it has, that it employs to give a, give that sort of feeling, that atmosphere. But I, I think what the movie is going for is to indicate that Harry is upset with Santa Claus being that, like having that sin that he sees with his mother, which is different than Silent Night, Deadly Night, because Silent Night, Deadly Night is not really psychological in that it explores the psyche of um, its characters. It is more focused on like bad thing happened. Well, then he's gone wild. You know, he's he's wacko. No, I would say actually Silent Night, Deadly Night's even more nuanced because at least that not only do you have the killing, then when become they become orphans, you have the fuck Mother Superior telling him what's naughty and what's nice, and like, yeah, you know, and berating and beating the shit out of him for it. I think you you get here we go from six year old to like forty year old, and like oh no, he's still hung up on that. <laughs> even Jeffrey Demun's character is like, you're blaming me for something when I was six. You haven't gotten over that in thirty-five years. You haven't surpri- gotten over that. I'm surprised Jeffrey DeMunn even remembers that. Like, how do they remember that? I can't remember shit when I was like six years old. Yeah, he like, like, I, remembers I, the exact moment of. That I would night literally have to sit and think, or, and like sit, like go into a deep thought, maybe like a Buddhist, like uh, like transcendental state, to try to like deep dig into the recesses of, recesses of my mind to like dig that kind of crap up. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe because because his character Philip is the brother of Harry, and he's been living with this sort of, um, I guess you would call it almost like mentally retarded brother. I mean, at, at a certain point, Harry is just not with it. How and- dare you? He is a something of a toy manufacturer. He is. Yeah, he's a he, he's got promote least- got promote off the floor to. <laughs> Whatever he does on. <laughs> but I think, like, the idea is, like, Philip has really never been – he's never – his brother has really never been able to let go of this. So it's not about remembering what happened. It's like he knows that it's all stemming from that because that's been his entire life. Um, I will give you that, that, you know, going from a scene when they're kids to when Harry is obviously a grown man and not really returning to any other portion of why – he would continue to feel this way except for, you know, just having crossed wires, you know, it's just, just not right in the head. Um, I think that is one of the problems with Christmas evil where you can come away with it, not really knowing what it is trying to say at all. Like, um, it just doesn't give you a whole lot to work with. And so you kind of have to piece it together with what the film gives you with that opening scene and then get a little creative with, with what you think that the theme is. But I think that ultimately it is about the issues with sin and Santa being almost like this godlike judge figure. Um, because ultimately at the, during Christmas evil, that's what Harry becomes, right? He becomes a judge of the children in his his area and not not only that but he so he's been judging them all throughout the year he has a a book of 1980s kids that are good and that are bad and he keeps them in a what I will say a very tidy uh little Bookshelf. textbook um with great cursive handwriting I will applaud Harry's Calligra- 
Yeah. Calligraphy was still in style. Um, comically oversized. <laughs> oh, the book? Yeah. Yeah. Both, both them. It's, a, and it's what you no would one, call a tome. And no one, no one notices this lecherous man just, like, peering from his balcony, like, uh, what's, what's little Jenny up to today? Uh, so, uh, look at her, look, look at her. She's tending to the doll. Let's How sweet! Oh, Moss Garcia cutting out boobies. Naughty. Let's talk about that that scene where he's observing the kids because – so do you feel like the film is attempting to say that in some ways Harry is – has pedophilic qualities, especially for little girls? No. Or do you think that it's more about him being so simple that he doesn't – he's not – sexual nature is not really even in his uh, – awareness he is legitimately just looking at them from a more innocent capacity no i i would go with the latter rather than the former no i don't think it's anything sexual i mean from it his, is, from, i think from, it's from, just, I say I say from him the trauma that he experienced it wouldn't be anything that would then lead him to be like oh no santa's grabbing mother's leg i must uh find children sexually no i think it's i think it's more just the simple like you know look the innocence of children and looking towards like the the fact that he was ro- you know kind of basically essentially in that moment robbed of his innocence you know through losing the in faith in santa and then losing faith in his parents again being a little too i don't think the film really elaborates on any of that but i that's where if you're going to if we're going to like kind of break it down to the nitty gritty that's where i would say i don't think it's a pedophilic touch at all I think it's just more like a he relates to the innocence of childhood and children and wants to protect that at whether that be through portraying himself as Santa, you know that'd probably be it, yeah, yeah, I think like he just sees the innocence of the children as something that needs to be protected, and that's even like sort of a line towards the end of the movie where you know. Basically, he's protecting them and shielding them from the horrors of like real life. And in this case, parents who are obviously irate about a killer Santa Claus running around and being close to their children. Um, I think he's really into the innocence of all of that and just misguided. But um, I think it gives a – that scene where he's observing them gives it a nice creepy quality to it. But again, it's more like – it's not really meant to be pedophilic. It's more like – this deranged man has been spying on your children for weeks and weeks and jotting down every single facet of their uh, interaction with the world. I just find it interesting because of the fact that apparently I mean, it's not like he's it's just one random year. Like he's like, it's 1980. You know what that means? I had to break out the old tomes and write down who's been naughty or nice on the block. Yeah, he, he's doing like, this for years. Yeah, he's like made his no, own books. No, no one's noticed. Like you know, Philip, like the, his brother has never like come around. And like, whoa, what the hell you got going on there, bud? Hey, you got a workshop of toys and uh, Chris yeah. Kringle suit. It's the middle of July. Hey, you got a book on your shelf. It says, um, it says, "Good boys and girls of 1976." What the hell's going on here? Well, I do think it interesting because while. Um, like the movie kind of makes it seem like this is the first time that he's really gone this far. Like 
maybe he's still been taking notes about children, but this is the first time that he's actually assumed the role of Santa Claus to the point where he's, you know, getting presents and delivering them. This is like the the different tune that he's now, like as he talks about, the tune that he now knows how to march to. Uh, this is like his his calling, basically. And I do think that like, Maybe he, you know, he has had tomes before of keeping track of children, but this is the first time that he's actually done something about it where he delivers presents or delivers coal or, um, you know, covers mud on his face and then puts an outline of his hand and, uh, face on the, the kid's house. Um, very odd scene, very weird moment where he does that. And I, I like it. I think it's like demented in a way that I truly appreciated when he spreads that mud on his face and then just, you know, marks the kid's house. Um, no, the most important part of that whole scene is the fact that that little shit of a child ruins his mother's one night out. Mm. That is true. And she slaps him without a thought. Yeah. It's a nice little. I say that's, I say that's, that's the most important part. Fucking. Mom wants to get out and go to the bar and get her strange going. This little shithead's like, yeah, there's someone stalking us. She's <laughs> like, you would ruin my one night out. Yeah, well, that's what she said. I was just surprised at, like, the no remorse slap. Just, like, just, just that was what you did back then. Listen, that was part of the Reagan campaign back in 1980. Ronald Reagan for president. Slapped the shit out of your children. That's what we did works so um one thing that i love about what brandon maggart does is though his his run as harry whenever something naughty happens it's like a fantastic waddle that he does like almost like a tattletale you know like a a child would do like when somebody does something bad that they got to go tell the parents he like does a little waddle away and I love that. It's a great um, detail because he does it at the beginning there when he's when he's watching Moss to cut out the penthouse magazine. Um, and then he does it again at uh, after he sees his co-worker or well, I guess his, his subordinate um, at the bar when he's supposed to be covering for his shift at work. He says, I got that, you know, that I got that asshole Harry to take my shift. And he he like runs away as well, like because he's so upset about how naughty that guy's being. Well, again, that's that's fucking Harry's own fault. Man up, all right. When like you guys coming in, he takes a bite of your goddamn sandwich, you know, and says, "Hey, I I need someone to cover my shift." Yeah, well, find someone else. Hey, you should do it. You said you missed the floor. Uh, I've already worked ten hours. Well, okay. Well, I think Harry, that's it's just, again it's it's just showing how Harry is so cowed and he doesn't really understand people. He doesn't understand why someone would do something like that because then it is how out- the hell did he get promoted off the fucking assembling toy line to hey you're running like the finances now? Well, I, I think Jolly dreams. He pretty much only got promoted because he did well at the floor. Like he's the most, um, the person that is the most. Uh, invested yeah exactly like he, he just has the most detailed eye for what he's doing on the floor and so they gave him a promotion because he even says in the movies like he doesn't know why he really got a promotion and he wishes he would be back on the floor 
Um, it was more like corporate saw him with an ambition and was like, oh, he'd be great at a, a you know, as a foreman here. And um, I think that's ultimately why, because even at the Christmas parties and stuff, they, you see like he doesn't really understand how to talk to people and people don't really talk to him um, unless, you know, they're making fun of him. One of my favorite lines from this movie is when Harry's talking about how um, he about the tune that other people march to and his his coworker is like I'll tell you what Harry I don't know what the fuck you're talking about it's a, it's a, it's a great moment it's just yes, a it great is. line yes yes it is yeah, yeah it is he goes up to him and he's like Harry what's going on oh I found out the tune that I'm marching to what yeah I know what I'm going to do now the fuck are you talking about yeah. I got to go and he just walks away. yeah it's a great moment it's just and then, hilarious and then he goes to talk to like the the bossy types and he's finding out like you donate these toys to this fucking um, oh did you hear the commercial too it's the children's retarded it's the it, retarded yeah. children's hospital <laughs> yes it's, it's like so just blunt like you know like like, like, just like, yeah, we're giving toys to the retired children's hospital, and then at least, in, in this aspect, I'll give Harry credit because again, like, he's you know, he, he's disgusted because they don't even he, know what they're giving for or if there's enough or they're just yeah, literally yeah, doing they're it just, for the books. Yeah, like, and like for the aspect of philanthropy that you know that all the you know press that philanthropy brings so no that's right that like for him to be outraged there that is that is great because he's like what, do you know if you have enough like toys to get to the children do you even know how many is in the hospital and they're like i don't know i just ran the campaign it makes us look great <laughs> you know so that yeah, that's you know that is a nice bet but again like the whole like and i did like the whole line of like you know I'd be following my own tomb, but this guy's an asshole. At least it says to the guy with the comb over that, you know, that was pretty, pretty good. But all these parties, though, like, what do you think of all these parties that he's going to? And they're just fucking loaded with liquor and everyone's just like, ah, fuck you. I'm I'm jealous. I wish I was going to parties like that. No, you don't. I don't have any Christmas parties like that. You wouldn't hate that. You would. Do you know what kinds of parties that like my work has now is like. Um, come and grab some milk and a slice of pizza, and we'll have a white elephant giveaway. What the fuck's a white elephant giveaway? It's where, like, you, you do, like, everybody brings a gift, and then it kind of, like, you trade them around, and then you can, like, go pick someone else's based on, like, your drawing and stuff. And you basically just trade around until people get what they want. I don't know. You just... You've clearly not been to corporate parties because that's milk and pizza. Well, we don't. We we got we got a spaghetti dinner from Hale's Mills, and the spaghetti was undercooked, and the meatballs were undercooked too, and they were like a mix of pork and veal. So there's probably like uh, food poisoning going on. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean I was kidding about milk and pizza. I mean it's mostly it's like pizza. Uh, you know, they'll throw, like, a pizza party. But there's certainly no, like, liquor being thrown around here. Well, no, I know. But, I mean, again, you know. I mean, just, you would not like that. You say you'd like that. But, I mean, as much of a lush as you are, you would still be like, ah, this is, like, too much. Like, because these assholes are running around, like, full bottles, like, Fleischmann's and fucking solely, like, ah, handsome, handsome, you know. Everyone in those parties, if you didn't notice, they're like eyeing each other's wives. Like, oh, I'm going to bring her home. Oh, yeah, of course. It's, yeah. it's also like swinging parties. 
What? Oh, what did you think of? Oh, speaking of swinging, what did you think of uh, after Harry saw the guy with the fucking uh, grumpy old man hat? You know, like he's Walter Matthau, um, having a Heineken in the bar. What do you think of him spying on his brother and his wife, like, fucking on the couch? <laughs> well, again, I think that's, like, the sin part of it. Is he's like, I can't believe my, my brother's partaking in things like this. Um, it was, it's like an interesting uh, idea. And I will say Jeffrey DeMunn got ripped for this. For like, in, Back in the day, he was, he was pretty ripped. Um, well, yeah, he fucks his lady, and then he's like... What's he off doing? Push-ups. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly like the, the you know the idea behind it, but I think <clears throat> that's part of the, like the reason why he doesn't go to Thanksgiving is because he saw that and he's like, wow, my my brother is you know lecherous and I I can't be over there. I have to watch Santa and the Macy's Day Parade. Um, I, again, it like goes back to that that sinful element to it. Um. But I will say that in this movie, it's apparent that uh, male pattern baldness was in <laughs> and that um, that no one really knew what to do with it at that point. They were like, I don't know. Like, should I just wear it? <laughs> should I just like, can I just, can I get away with it? Now, I'm not making fun of baldness. Baldness is, you know, genetic and, and you can't help it. And what I am making fun of is the fact that like if you're bald and you're, you're, you're going bald and noticeably bald, you should roll with it. You should, you know, you should just go all out and just do the bald thing. You don't I mean, do. I, I say, I mean, I am. It's you're slightly, not going yeah. bald though, but it's, it, I am thinning and having male pattern baldness show up, but you don't do what that asshole does that works at Harry's company and have like nothing in the front. And, and all sides. Yeah. All, hey, this, all sides in a ponytail. Hey, hey this guy's uh, brand new. He's young, up and coming. Yes. He's young and up and coming. Dude looks like he's, he's like he's, 55 he's 24, years old. 24, fresh out of college. Bald as shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't do that. And then, you know, and Jeffrey DeMond, too, is looking, you know, a little sparse on top. Um, So... Just wanted to point that out. You know, you got male pattern baldness going on in here. Um, Cue the Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> so, so the other thing um, that I wanted to point out too is the um, the use of uh, ladders on roofs in this movie, because um, there's that one time where um, Harry is going to get into. I think it's Frank's. I think his name is Frank. The guy that uh, tried to get him to take his shift, and he's going into Frank's house, and he puts a ladder, like a uh, one of those extension ladders, up on the house. And I have to call shenanigans on this because there's no way that someone is putting an extension ladder up on a roof in the middle of the night without people knowing it in the house. Because he even when, tied off when I put extension ladders up on my house. You'd think a knight in armor is falling down the stairs because of how loud it is. So there's there's no way that Harry is sneaking into houses with, with his ladder. Well, not only that, he didn't even tie it off. He pulls it up, you know, and gets it all straightened out. He doesn't even tie it off so it doesn't fucking come crashing down on him. That's right. So you find that more ridiculous than him stupidly trying to slide down a fucking chimney? 
<laughs> I like the chimney thing. I think it's hilarious. It's it's uh, a nice Again, little bit of humor there. It's like nice four minutes of fucking tedium watching him just fucking writhe and try to get back out of the goddamn chimney. I mean, I like it though because it shows like the the depths that he will go to pretend like he's Santa Claus. He'll even try to fit into a chimney and go down the chimney. Yeah, he's so much like Santa Claus. He's driving around a fucking Chevy Econo van. Well, like he's a wet bandit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I like it though. I I think it's like there are interesting details. It's the film is not all about killing. It's not like Silent Night Deadly Night, which is like at a certain point just goes off the rails and you know proceeds to kill everybody that it comes across. Um, Christmas Evil has fairly little killing in it. There's only the one scene where he goes to the church and is berated by those people in the church and and murders them with the toys from the factory and the scene where he you know kills Frank uh by strangling him with his his uh sack of toys. Other than that, there's really not much killing in Christmas Evil and it's more about the demented element of him doing these things on Christmas. Um some good, some bad, you know, he delivers toys to the to the um, children's hospital as well. And, and that almost has like a fantastic quality to it, like a, a fantasy that he's living where he delivers the toys. He gives them a whole van full of toys and they cart them off and they, they basically give him a standing ovation at the end and say, Merry Christmas, Santa. Thank you so much for all the toys. It's almost like we see it from his eyes is like how people would respond to him being Santa Claus and giving toys, not, not how people really did respond, but almost like the that happened of of Christmas, you know, like they all applauded me because I brought some toys to the children's hospital. Oh, 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 oh. but I, I do like it, too, because regardless of whether he's killing people or not, you're seeing like the change in him, the dementedness of him continually being uh, almost like. I don't know, like he, he is becoming Santa because people are kind of encouraging it, especially at the children's hospital that encourages him like, oh, I'm doing a good thing. I'm being Santa Claus. And then, you know, going to that party with the children and he he's basically doing the polka by himself in the middle of the floor. And that encourages him to continue being Santa because people like it. And then eventually, you know, people don't like it anymore. And that's where he becomes super unhinged. But there's all this encouragement for him throughout the night of Christmas Eve and into Christmas Day where, you know, he's he's like, wow, this is my my life's calling. I really am doing good work. I like that. I like the psychological element to it. Um, I think it does a fairly good job with that. So I'm curious to hear where, you know, besides it being tedious, where you think it's it takes too long throughout the movie, like what else – about that didn't you like was it with the psychological element just not enough for you it didn't it didn't sit well with you what <clears throat> there's just a lot of spots where the film's like slow and tedious okay so you just could get through literally just couldn't get down with the pacing it's a film that should be like 110 minutes long 110 Quite. minutes long that's longer than the movie sorry um 80 minutes <laughs> okay yeah so if the film had been edited down, if it had been cut and they've got rid of some of those moments that just like linger a little bit too long, like spying on his brother or 
trying to go down the chimney or, um, you know, the opening scene with the thighs and Santa Claus and they had cut those all down. Do you think you would have enjoyed the movie more? I think it would be definitely more enjoyable. I think, again, there's like good ideas. Like I like, like the parts where he's in the factory and seeing him like kind of explain to like his union brothers as they're stealing his goddamn sandwich. Um, like, you know, like they, they, you know, they don't, you know, you're missing the point of toy making, you know, stuff like, you know, that's enjoyable. At the same time, though, you get like four minutes of watching these assholes put lightning bolts in a fucking toy's hand. For what? What the fuck's a toy with a lightning? What the hell like, is that supposed to be? A soldier with a lightning bolt or whatever. What the, what the fuck toy is that supposed to be? And we get like four minutes of them just sitting there on the line, like, oh, yeah, put the put the lightning bullet in. Yeah, oh, yeah, make sure you put the fucking lightning bullet in. <laughs> hey, put the lightning bullet in. Like for every good idea the film has, it has like five minutes of padding that just fucking are a bunch of bullshit. And that's what I mean by the film being tedious. Like again. I'm fine with the setup, but the fact that, like, the first five minutes of the film is, like, him just constantly lingering on, like, Dad's got a, Santa's got my mom's leg. Oh. When it could have just been, like, in, out, go. Same thing with, like, what goes on in the factory. There's character development there. But the whole, like, five minutes of watching a fucking factory line go by. Tedious. That's, that's you know, the only, like... Kind of long part that I didn't find to be overly long and like uh, too tedious, even though what it is long, it is tedious. Excuse me, is the whole bit at the family center or whatever where he's doing like the polka, like that. That is like kind of fun. It's tedious but in, enjoyable in a way. Well. I disagree. I I don't think the film is tedious, though I do think that the ending drags on a little too long. Um, the running through the streets and you know, um, the the mob chasing, um, I think is a little bit too long. But I don't find the film particularly tedious up until that point. I think it is just like a slow burn film that builds on the weirdness, builds on the oddities, um, builds on the psychological. Um, you know, discovery of what Harry is doing. And I, I just, I didn't, I don't see it that way. Maybe it's just my continuation of watching this over the years and, um, you know, appreciating what it does, but I really appreciate like the weirdness and the directness of it, that it doesn't, it doesn't try to do any of these things like just throw in a bloodbath or, um, you know, just try to be a straight slasher movie. It's off kilter and, odd and it's it's it it proudly wears that on its sleeve the ending of the movie um is really divisive because it's like it's hard to tell what exactly the meaning of the ending is um is it just a you know like a almost like a fantasy again like that harry has that he flies off into the night sky like santa claus uh or is it you know truly just uh a real thing that happens like because the film is so wacky. Um, I just appreciate that it kind of goes in weird directions and it's not a straight slasher film. Um, 
you know, if you really want to see a straight killer Santa slasher film, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night is your thing. But if you want something that's a little bit weird and different, Christmas Evil. <coughs> Anything oh, else that, uh, that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just kind of based on uh, taste, even though I'm, I guess, uh, as you said, the more refined cinephile on the podcast. I was joking about that, but... Um, it's definitely not nearly as fun as uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. I'm not saying the fact that it's not a slasher film like Silent Night, Deadly Night is a bad thing. I th- actually think it works to its benefit because it makes it stand out more. And the fact that it is more kind of like a psychological thriller. However, <clears throat> as I said before, there's just too much downtime in the film where it just comes off as tedious. I mean, it's not like it's being carried by Bill Murray. They have his fourth cousin, Jim Bob Murray, as the lead actor. <laughs> Should have just gotten Brian Doyle to do it. He would have gl- probably gladly done it himself, but, you know. All right, so let's rate this. On a scale of 1 to 10 shitty factory toys that really no kid wants for Christmas, what would just you ran- give Christmas just random blue and red toys. Yeah, <laughs> blue and red motorcycles and the nutcracker that no one wants. The nutcracker, the lightning bolt. Um, <laughs> give it like a five. Eh, again, like there is some interesting aspects to this film. There are some good ideas in this film. I think, though, they're just not well executed. For every like good two minutes screen time, you get like seven minutes of downtime. Um, I like the fact that it is more psychological. I do like the fact that it's more nuanced than, say, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. However, the fun isn't there as it is in that film. Um, though I do think overall our lead is well acted and well done. Um, I just don't think there's like enough here to. M- make an enjoyable film it's again tedious is the only word i can honestly think of to kind of describe the pacing of this film it's 90 minutes long and it still feels like you're fucking watching this film forever (laughs) because everything just drags again for every good idea in this film and if you watch this film you'll see um it takes forever and a day to get to it and to get to the point um so even though it does have some good ideas, I still think it's not really ever worth watching after one watch. So I'd give this a 5 out of 10. I never planned to watch this film again. <laughs> I'd give it a 7 out of 10. I think it is an interesting movie, and I do think it's more enjoyable if you watched it a couple times. Um, I think it's really – it's a strange, odd movie. It has a nice atmosphere to it that's really grimy. Um, gives off just like a really – grimy um gross feeling to it and that's partially because of like the actual quality of the film and the the, the editing but it's also like the new york city uh um setting and and things like that 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 gives it that feeling um and partially too just like the the oddity of having this grown man who's been following children around and and you know marking down what they do 
throughout the day, throughout the year. Um, but I, I, I think that has a really interesting idea that goes in a different direction than Silent Night, Deadly Night would in 1984. Uh, it's not a straight slasher movie. It has psychological elements to it. You have to kind of think about those psychological elements because it doesn't go too far into depth about what it means by them or what Harry means by catching the tune or why he particularly feels like he wants to become Santa, what focus that uh, beginning of the movie has on his uh, outlook and trajectory in life. In life. Um, those, it's not really told to the audience. You kind of have to just kind of clean it. Um, and so that often leaves, um, a feeling like the film doesn't really have much of a theme or it doesn't really know what its theme is. I feel like it does. I think it's about sin, about Santa Claus, about the, the weirdness of Santa in, in the scheme of things, watching children, um, you know, the, the idea, the mythological element of Santa in our culture is sort of weird. Um, it's actually been fairly recently that Santa Claus has been, you know, a purveyor of good um, because historically Santa Claus has actually been more of like a, you know, a, a pagan figure that is not particularly nice all the time. Um, much like Krampus and some of the other um, folklore that go into like the Christmas season. Um, so I find it interesting that the film kind of sees Santa Claus as being a weird part of our culture and comments on that that strange element of, of what he does and, and how he's judge over children and um, things like that. So I, I, I really enjoy that part of the film. Um, I, li- I like a lot of like the the seediness to it. The, the kills are... Um, sort of surprising and overall I really enjoy the movie for what it is um, being weird being different and um, you know kind of taking Christmas horror in a different direction alright so that's our Christmas evil episode I'm sure Martin is glad to have that behind him we will on, on to a worse film <laughs> we'll never be doing Christmas evil again <clears throat> I hope not Wait, never darken our doorstep ever again. <laughs> but next week we are going to be doing um another film and and we you know what we're we're well into the John Hughes um holiday season. The the season of John Hughes, right? Because John Hughes pretty much can can claim Thanksgiving through Christmas as his own. We've got planes, trains and automobiles. You got Dutch. Um You've got Uncle Buck, which pretty much takes place in somewhere in the Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, February time frame. You've got Christmas Vacation. You've got Home Alone 2 and the one that we're doing next week, Home Alone. <laughs> Carol of the Bells. <laughs> it wouldn't be a Christmas episode on Blood and My Crumb podcast without you attempting to uh, sing Carol of the Bells. Well, it's not sing. It's just happen. <laughs> um, just do. Yeah, so we're doing Home Alone finally next week. Should be a fun one. I've already watched Home Alone this season, this this year, um, but I really don't care. I would watch Home Alone like every day. I, I honestly, if it was on, I could just sit down and, and watch it. 
because it it is one of my favorite holiday movies, and I think we'll have a good time with it. Um. All right. So until then, we will, uh, you know, continue to celebrate our festivist season um, by posting all of our different festivist episodes on our Facebook and Twitter. So you can check those out. Um, just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We um, are pretty much on any podcasting app that you can think of. We're on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, our home base at anchor.fm. Uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're probably on it, so you can subscribe to us and leave us a nice review. Uh, we have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com where you can write to us and let us know what you want us to cover. And you can donate to us on Patreon. Um, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. You can donate to us on Apple Podcasts, um, anchor.fm. Whatever you can donate, we really appreciate. helps to keep us um, drinking some beers. So... Um, We'll be back next week with Home Alone, and we appreciate you tuning in for our Festivus series, and we hope you enjoyed our Christmas Evil episode. So until next time, take care.